G'day everyone, welcome to Talking Leadership. This is Eric Perez, your podcast host, welcoming you back. By way of introduction, my guest today is the founder and CEO, project management professional and project leadership expert with Purpose Driven Projects. She is also the people and projects leadership specialist with the X Factor Collective, and she is the founder and host of Let's Talk Project Management. Can I welcome to the podcast, Melanie Colling. How are you, Melanie? I'm good, thanks, Eric. Thanks so much for having me. Mate, thank you for coming. And it's like you don't sleep too much with all those roles there, mate. So um, it seems seems to be a lot on. So look, thank you again for for giving up your time to speak with me. So let's let's start where we need to start with this conversation. And being that it's about you and your leadership pathway, where did it start and why leadership? What drew you to leadership roles? Uh, it's a good question. Um, and where did it start? It was actually started when I was a kid. So I'm the eldest child, and my sisters always told me I was bossy but I just thought I was being a good leader. You know, they just needed to know what to do and I was just telling them. And it's funny because I never realised that, but when I look back and now talking about leadership and teaching others about it, you know, I look back and I'm like, oh, okay, it did start back then, you know, because I did that naturally. And that's what I talk about in leadership is, you know, finding a natural style and stuff. So, yep, it, you know, it started back there. But in my career took me on the, the path down project management. Um, and so, you know, project management is leading a team of people on a project to get something done. So again, you know, I found that a natural fit, which is why I succeeded in, in the project management industry. Um, and then as I went through my career, you know, there was more roles around, you know, program management and then portfolio management, you know, which included people management, et cetera, et cetera. So it just grew uh, from, from there. But I think because I had that natural I won't say gift but I just enjoyed doing it then that's why it led me to different roles that built up on the leadership side I haven't asked this before but I might tease this out a little bit seeing as as you brought it up and it's of interest to me because I'm also the eldest of two do you think (laughs) do you think that birth order has some leadership kind of connotations there or am I reading too much into that I've, I've never given this a lot of thought and I'm sure there's there'll be research on this somewhere so I claim no expertise but yeah do you think there's there's some link there at least from your experience absolutely um, and there's a lot of stuff written about birth order and it's it's really fascinating I, I love that stuff you know I'm the eldest I'm the eldest of um, of three so you know and all girls and so you know naturally you are leading your um, siblings or paving the way for them to do something at certain milestone points you know your parents um, give you some you know um, allow you to do things and then your sisters have to catch up with you you know to, to then do that so you're kind of naturally leading them but also being put in a leadership role by your parents as such as being the eldest of a group of children and then you know the middle child always has that you know, we're stuck in the middle. We're not the eldest with the responsibility, but we're not the youngest and we can get away with stuff. <laughs> uh, and then the youngest just gets away with everything and they can do everything early. And, you know, you're like, but I had to wait till I was this age before I could do that. And, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I do I do believe it. birth order has got something to do with it. For me, leadership is about being of service to others. I think fundamentally for me that, that it's a people game and that's my definition. It's not as comprehensive as others, but it's what drives me and why I do what I do. So let me ask you, how do you define leadership? Yeah, um, and I would agree with, with what you said there in your definition. It's really a push-pull, isn't it? You know, like management, you're pushing people to do things. You're making them do it, whereas leadership is that you're pulling them, you're motivating, inspiring, encouraging them to do things and they're wanting to do it. And I really think that that's the definition of, you know, it's about 
you know, getting people on the bus and do they want to be on there and follow you? And that's the definition of leadership if people want to come and follow you. Let, let me go rogue here a little bit and ask you a question because I know you deal with a lot of people and it's interesting you bring up that because um, I've stopped asking the question around leadership versus management, but it's nice to come back to it to have a bit of a, a play on that. Can you develop leadership in your management team that takes that old stereotype of management away and can manage managers serve a managerial function but operate as effective leaders as well so they're i think with any job whether you're in a management role or leadership role and, and i'll get you to comment on this if you can so I'll, I'll try and express this as succinctly as i can that the function of working in a workplace whatever it is means you're letting someone direct you to get a, a task done or to reach some kind of goal you don't necessarily have to use control methodology, which is the traditional view of management to get people to do things. And I subscribe to the idea, and this is untested, I have no data to back me on this, that I think you can get people to commit to you as a manager with good leadership techniques and still be a manager and not just formally the leader at that sort of macro level. Is that something you would you would be on board with or do you have a different view, Melly? Uh, no, I agree. So yes, you can be a manager and have the operational element to your role, but it's really about trusting the people to do that um, and helping support them to do the operational side and not be that, you know, kind of taskmaster, micromanager, making sure they've done it, you know, give them that level of trust that they can do it and then inspire them to do bigger and better things. That's the really role um, of the leader. So anyone can be a manager, not everyone can be a leader. Leadership is about making decisions and sometimes it's a lonely road. So that lonely road of leadership, do you think it is one or is it as lonely as you make it? Oh yeah, good question. Again, it comes down to a couple of things. It's your leadership style. So my leadership style is very people-based. So, you know, I, I, I understand people. So I work out what they need and I support them to make sure that they do what they need to do to be successful that's my style other people have different styles you know more database so they're in the detail and you know tracking things on a spreadsheet and, and that kind of stuff that's not my style and so everyone has a different style of leading and just remind me of the question sorry Ari. that lonely road of leadership yes. is it is it as lonely as you make it or is it really a solo path yeah um so yeah depending on your style mine's always together with people Whereas some people would just, you know, sit in my office and direct people and, you know, I don't need to be part of, of the group. So you can make it lonely or you can make it collaborative. Depends on your natural way of doing things in your natural style. But also it's really hard for those people coming from a worker to a manager. And a lot of people are put in a, in a role uh, because they're good at the job then they're like, okay, you can you can be the manager. And that doesn't always necessarily mean they're the best person to be the manager or the leader of that team because that's a whole lot of different skill sets that you need to lead people, um, you know, and, and manage. And so that's where sometimes the challenge is, is that people are into that role and, you know, as we know, there's not much support or training for people, you know, in a, in a leadership role, depending on, um, which organisation um, you work in and which level. Um, and then you, you have to then differentiate yourself between, yes, I was a worker and now I'm a manager leader. And, you know, do I still hang out with the guys and go and grab a coffee, you know, or do I draw a line in the sand and go, oh, I'm not allowed to do that now because I'm a manager, right? And a lot of people have struggled with, with working out where they fit then, you know, and they used to fit in this space and now they're 
you know, in this space. Um, and so, so I think there's a few elements to that about how you navigate that change if you've gone from worker to manager and then how you find your natural style to do it. Um, and then what works for you, and it doesn't always have to be lonely, it's just how you, you know, um, create that environment and space for you and your style. It's, it's an interesting observation and quite a fascinating one you bring up around do organisations do the job well of promoting people from operational roles into managerial leadership roles? And topics come up in in discussions I've had with with people as well as on the podcast. And I, I don't think that there's a lack of businesses wanting to do that well. I think there's an assumption that's often made that if you've got years of experience in a position that you should be able to lead others in it. And technical knowledge does not equal ability to manage other people. The other side to this coin is that people are adaptable and people will take on a challenge if it means uh, potentially progressing through an organization, which most people want to do, but some don't. Do you find that organizations do those transitions well in your experience or not, or somewhere in between? I think somewhere in between. I mean, I was very lucky in my career that um, when I um, transitioned into management, I was actually working for IBM at the time and they had a really good program for leadership training where you actually went off and, you know, it was a decent chunk of time. I think it was, you know, five days or something where you went through this whole program, which really set me up for success and, you know, other managers that went went through it. And, you know, a lot of it was, you know, do I need this yet? But it actually, you always reference that when you come back to it. So I was lucky I got that training. Um, I don't think that's always the case. And I think some of the challenges in business is it's so fast paced now that everyone's like, quick, we just got to get someone in there. And then they just put someone in there. And it's like, well, they've just got to do it. Like, because we need to get moving and get stuff done. And there's like this time, well, we haven't got time to do that. But you know, the, the downside of that is, well, if you haven't got time to invest in that person, then that person's not going to be as successful as they would be, you know, if you did invest in them and, and give them some guidance leadership, even if it's mentorship from someone that has gone through that journey before and that can guide them and be there for them to ask questions, that is better than nothing. And so I think yeah, you can't expect someone just to step into that role with no support whatsoever because, yeah, that, that that's a big leap. <laughs> going to say here's a bit of a smart ass insight from from the podcast host for what this is worth what's the cost of not helping transition that person because if you get someone who is unprepared and doesn't know how to engage with the role you could potentially lose money uh, not just through them but through contracts or or roles or or tasks that need to get completed the flip side and this this can happen i've seen it happen that the person gets angry and embittered that they were they've got a role that they don't want but they can't can't shirk the responsibility because like you said there's operational need to have them there and you don't want an angry or uncommitted person in a role like that and the more senior that goes the more the implications are for the business so what's the cost of doing it wrong but because they impact so many more people in a leadership role like yes it was just them in their role then they'd lead a team of the five that's five more people they're impacting you know, and then so on and so on. So I wonder what the multiplier is if you've got an unprepared, undertrained person in a managerial role and they have people that account to them, that report to them, that the more reports that you've got coming to you, that's individuals that you're managing, what's the multiplier if they start getting pissed off that they've got someone that seems not to either want their job or know what they're doing or a combination of the two? And not forgetting here, you add the layer that this can cause a lot of stress 
to the individual in that role. So I'm not blaming them for a second, but, and I've been asked this before and I, I don't know how to answer this question. At what point in that process is it incumbent on the individual to say to his or her bosses, I'm not the person for this job. I want to keep in the company, but I can't do the role. And I think that takes a level of fortitude that most people, I couldn't do it. Yeah. Interesting one that. Look, Melanie, let me ask you something. Measuring success how do you how have you done that in roles that you've had and what have you seen others do to measure what what we might call success in leadership um so for me success in, in leadership is that my team are successful that will make me successful so that was my only thing to do it's like what do i need to do to make you guys successful how do i need to support you uh, what do you need and that's where you differentiate between a good leader and a great leader. Now, we've all had <laughs> different leader role models in our career, and I'm sure you've um, got a few stories there too, Eric. But the the good leaders that I've seen operate is really, you know, that they're focused on their team. So I talk about this a little bit too around, you know, when you get into that leadership role, when you're a worker, you are focused on the client or the end user or whoever you are delivering your role to, like who's that person. When you become a leader, you face into your team, right? You've got to you've got to turn around and you've got to say, that's my client, right? I've got to support my team to then support the client. And it's really, that's why leadership is such a tricky thing because it's a real mindset shift. And yeah, it, it, you've got to change the way that you operate. And that's where people struggle to, to, to make that change or they're not even aware that that's what they've got to do to, to make that shift. An amazing insight, mate. Thank you for sharing that. I, I never looked at it that way, that when you're in that leadership position there, you, you, you look at your people almost as clientele as well as almost like a customer. What are their needs versus what your external uh, customer base looks like? Yeah, that, that's interesting. Okay. We could unpack that. For, for a while that I've got questions but podcast the, episode for yeah that yes yes that that, that deserves its uh, own little session leader capabilities now this one is near and dear to me because it's the point it's, it's one of the driving reasons I do the podcast and I'm genuinely interested in what people say are their key leader capabilities and like anything and all these conversations Melody there is no right or wrong I'm just here to, to tease out in from your grey matter what you believe are those critical leader capabilities so over to you mate what do they look like what are they <laughs> so for me and what I've learned over the time is to know your natural style and that's really what I help people understand now because there's a lot of times I know in my career where I've looked at other leaders and go oh maybe I should do it that way well, they're doing it that way. I need to do it that way too. And it's not, it wasn't my style. Um, and so I'm never going to be successful <laughs> following someone that that's a different natural style to, to, to what I am. Um, and so you've got to find what works for you. You've got to find that style uh, that works and then embrace it. Like don't push it away and go, oh, I'm too friendly or, you know, this, that, the other. It's like, that's my style. How can I make it work? Um, and, you know, I was just on a, um, a, a webinar with Simon Sinek and if you know Simon Sinek he's like um, start with why did this TED talk and he's now talking about you know people um, workplaces and, and how we can change cultures and things like that and he was talking um, about how you can you know influence and, and, and change and what we used to call soft skills right and he's like I hate the term soft skills it's just people skills right and it's what we need in, in using our everyday life um, and it's just what we should be bringing to a job but it's never really been thought of uh, as high on the list 
And what we're seeing now, and I gave a presentation recently um, to a PMI group, that where technical skills were the highest requirement from um, when they're looking for project managers, it's like one or 2% below is leadership skills, right? And leadership skills is all of your technical knowledge and experience plus your people skills, you know, your your leadership skills, how you manage people, how you, you know, get people to do stuff, uh, basically whatever style that is and, and your natural way of doing that. So whatever you do outside of work is how you would do that normally in work and how do you bring that to your new role and make it your own and, you know, look at other people but look at them, okay, does that fit in with my style and, you know, kind of take bits and pieces from other people but use what's innate and natural to you first. When you're talking about some capability, leader capability, sorry, being viewed potentially as soft skills or soft capabilities, I think it's because there's a difficulty in finding a language and a way to measure some of these skill sets and that because we don't know how to do that or uncomfortable trying to do that, that we have to put a label on it so that it sounds like it's unimportant in the scheme of things. And I I would challenge in most industries, I can't think of one that wouldn't fit this, what I'm going to say next, that I don't think is a, is a, a mind blowing, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, realization revelation. Yeah. That organizations will never meet their goals, whether they're for profit or not for profit. If the people you've got helping deliver them don't feel invested in delivering that. And if you really took a, a very much a process focused, people are just part of the cog and they just have to deliver because they're getting paid an income. You're not going to see a lot of success in my view. The other contentious thing in my mind, sorry, contentious thing in my mind on this is that when you're looking at what those capabilities are and, and you've mentioned the, you've mentioned the ones that are particularly important for you and can't disagree with the list. It, it's your list. It's what you've, you've learned. I bring a slightly different view to it personally. And I think all of those skill sets that have to do with bringing people along, how you present yourself, your degree of empathy, your emotional intelligence, your EQ, all of those things together that focus on people is the stuff, is that social glue that keeps organizations going. And leaders know how to access that and need to be able to access those things because they humanize you in the world of work. Otherwise, people are going to look at you as a robot and there's not going to be a connection. Where I think this conversation gets interesting for someone like me, and I'm looking at this from a put a researcher lens on this just for a second and love to get your view on this. I truly believe that in whatever the suite of those capabilities are, that I think that there's a there's a group of the people skills that are leader capabilities that people draw on to different degrees to make the day go. But the ones that are critical for effective leadership, now this this is my next step. So I'm not saying those other ones aren't important, but things to me like strategic thinking, foresight, and more recently, an appetite for ambiguity. I think if those three things are not present in leaders, you're not going to have as effective a leader as you might otherwise have. Now, always open for the debate on the degree to which you need to have those skills honed and those capabilities to the cutting edge, whatever that looks like. But I think more conversations need to be had about this because if you had leaders in any industry that don't have a roadmap for the future, whatever that looks like, whether it's a daily roadmap or a monthly or a roadmap that's five years out, you can't envisage not just futures, but possible realizable futures. And you don't know how to deal with ambiguity as it creeps up. 
along that journey, I don't think you can get the job done. A, a personal view, I'm, I'm building this view over time and from talking to people, but I'm more convinced than ever that there's something to this that doesn't necessarily get the airplay that I think it should because I believe uh, if, you do, if you look at the, that pendulum idea that it has been too much of a swing i think to the people skills without those skills you can't be a good leader no i don't think anyone with any common sense has ever said those things aren't important it's that i think there's a combination of these things coming through which is what makes leadership complicated and i reckon it keeps it interesting at least for people like me because you can keep having conversations with people like yourself do you believe there are great gradients or some capabilities that are more important than others or do you not look at it that do you look at it a different way um, I agree with everything that you've said there, that you need all of those elements. So you need to, uh, when I talk to people and, you know, teach my model, um, I start with compelling vision. Because if you don't have a vision of where you're going, then how can people follow you, right? So you've got to set that scene and set that vision. So I agree that, you know, you've, you've got to have that foresight, um, that strategic vision of, of where you're going and how the team can follow you and what you're going to achieve together, you know, to get everybody on board. Um, and then it is absolutely about being strategic and having measures in place. So how are you going to measure that you're successful? Like if, you, if you're not drawing a line in the sand and say, hey, this is what we're going to achieve, then people don't know what they're working towards. So you need all of those elements. You know, and, and I suppose your natural style brings those all together in how you work out what's the best way for you to bring all those things together. Um, everyone's got a different style of doing that, but they still need all of those elements to be successful because you can't just, you're right, have the people skills and go, oh, if I'm, you know, if I'm getting everybody to do what they need to do, but I'm actually not measuring success or got the vision that's aligned with where the organisation is going, then, yeah, we might be successful, but on the completely wrong thing. I couldn't agree more. I, I think it's an open uh, question and debate because I, I know having read some of the literature and following some other podcasts and listening to some real out there thinkers in this space that it, it's still an ongoing discussion and I think one well worth having because if if you take the view which I do that industry is spending hundreds of millions of dollars a year on training people, developing people, developing leadership, understanding what it means for them um, across the, the the private and public sector, in the ag sector, in the non-ag sector. You've got any number of groups whose sole function is to get better leadership and to talk about it. If anyone had the magic bullet, it would be, we would have it by now. And so it again, this is what I think keeps it interesting maybe what we're talking about here and I, I think you, you you've talked about it through the entire discussion is if you look at the bigger picture of leadership how do the bits fit together and if if you um, are out there uh, with your own system for leadership like you just said before then you found a formula that works for you and others they're coming on board and using it and it's effective for them that that's great that's as much as you can do uh, to get something done because I, I think there's a lot of businesses that if they're not asking themselves a question about how do you get better longevity in the business and maybe maybe an even more fundamental question what are we trying to prep our leaders for 
What's the purpose of giving them these skill sets? That to me is a macro question. I don't expect you to have an answer now, but that's I'm throwing that out there for conversations. Whoever wants to have the conversation with me or amongst their own leadership people is what are we doing this for? If we're training for what end? To achieve just organizational goals, to develop better individuals, to inculcate a different culture in your organization? Like what's the end point of, of better leadership? And I think that's different for every organization, yep. isn't it? Because they all have different values, they'll all have different goals, and they'll all have different things that are more important. So what is their priority? Um, and I talked about this recently, actually, around like looking at different industries and where your natural style fits. So, you know, if you're more innovative and an innovative leader, then you're going to be more inclined to work for startups and, you know, tech companies and things like that. So, you know, don't look for something in finance and banking, for example, because that's going to be really, you know, structured and, and process driven and a lot of data and detail. Um, that's for someone that, that, that kind of is naturally uh, like that. And I think when you were talking about leadership and what do we, how do we, how do we teach for leadership? And there is so many people with so many different ways of doing it. It is really hard because you can teach an element of leadership that's process driven. So, you know, the measurement, um, how to do performance reviews, you know, all of that tangible stuff that has a process to it, but you can't teach for the people element as in what's your natural style. All you can do is give people awareness to that, which is what I do and say, once you know yourself, and then know the people around you, then you know how to get that work done and how to lead that group of people. And that will change when the people change, but the process element you can teach for. And that's why leadership training is so tricky. And then it also depends on the organisation. Like where do they want to go and what do they want their leaders to be doing to support their organisation and where they're going? You've probably probably spoken about before, but I'll, I'll get you on uh, on the podcast with a response if I could. Are leaders born or are they made? A bit of both, I think. People have the natural ability and they'll probably go into those roles of their own accord more naturally. People that need to be nurtured will be maybe put in that role, but then given support to be a leader. And I think that's an, another challenge too is, you know, some people, like we were talking about, are in a role and then made a manager or a leader and some are successful and some aren't um, and so you know some obviously have the natural ability and some need a little bit more nurturing um, to be more successful in that role so yeah I would say both but different strategies. Okay Melanie thank you for that now here's uh, the final element to the discussion and I'm interested to see what you've got to say here looking back on your leadership pathway what would you say to a younger version of yourself about being a more effective leader trust yourself just trust yourself and follow your natural style and don't think that you know you've got to emulate other people um, and their style find your own style um, nurture it grow it stick with it trust yourself and yeah you'll grow much faster and have a much easier ride <laughs> Melanie, thank you for that. So for those listening, I've been speaking to Melanie Colling. Melanie, as part of the, the process for the podcast, I just want to hand over to you to do a bit of a plug for what it is that you're doing. So um, the floor is yours. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah, like I've said in our discussion, Eric, uh, you know, I'm really passionate about helping people in that leadership role because um, it's a really, you know, it is challenging, but it's also so rewarding. Um, and 
you know, I've really, I'm really passionate about, you know, getting people um, into those roles, but being successful and finding their own way to do it through what I've learned, you know, over my experience. So um, I love helping people with that. And the thing that I've been asked a little bit about, you know, is remote leadership and how do we do that when we're now all disjointed because of COVID. And it's more and more um, to understand the people that we're working with and the whole person, not just the person that rocks up to work, um, you know, because you are seeing them now in their home with their family around them. And so that's becoming more and more, you know, one of the strategies that that people have to adapt to, um, like we've all adapted to, you know, to working remotely. So I love working, you know, with, with people that, you know, leaders that want to enable their team um, and we call it unlocking potential. So, you know, finding the potential in your people and in your team and then that then um, goes into your organisation. So that's what I've been doing with Purpose Driven Projects. Part of my work with the X Factor is around doing that for social purpose businesses, NGOs, uh, not-for-profits, um, social enterprises, which has been really exciting. Um, and then on the flip side, I also love the world of podcasting and a co-founder in Experts On Air, um, where we help people find um, guest spots to, to talk to lovely people like you um, about what we know. So I, I love doing all that stuff. Um, and as you can probably tell, I'm a people person, you know, been dying here in lockdown Melbourne. So I'm super excited to get out on Friday and see some more people and yeah, just get the opportunity to work with people and help them on their leadership journey. No worries, Melanie. Thank you for that. And uh, we'll make uh, links to your your business and website and contact details on LinkedIn available if that's all right with you. That would be perfect. Thank you. Excellent. So for those listening, I've been speaking to Melanie Colling. Uh, thank you again for your time. My pleasure, Eric. Thank you. And we'll catch you all on the next podcast.